to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Have you ever had a problem? I thought I'd start with a simple question. Sure. We all have had problems. We all have problems today because problems can be from little teeny tiny things up to really big things. So if you say, well, we're going to talk about problems today, everybody can relate. But we want to zero in on a particular type of situation today, although what we're going to talk about applies to any and all problems that we might have. But have you ever had a problem? And if you are a follower of Jesus, which most of you are, and if you're not, we're glad you're here. We're glad that you're watching online. Jesus calls you to follow him. He wants a relationship with you. But have you ever had a problem and it almost seemed overwhelming to you, or maybe it wasn't even overwhelming, but it was just kind of long-lasting, and you cried out to God, and then in some way, some form or fashion, whether it's because you were part of a really great service and God moved, He spoke to your heart, He just, you know, did something in you, or maybe you were having a great time with Jesus just by yourself reading your Bible and praying, or maybe you were listening to some worship music, or you're in the midst of a worship uh, service, or in some way you just felt like you really had a connection with God, and God spoke to you, and God gave you an assurance that He's got everything under control, you can trust Him, and you just... You just felt your, your your spirits lift. You just, you know, the problem's still there, but you felt your spirit lift, you felt hope begin to rise... And then very shortly after that, things got worse. Have you ever experienced that? Sure. You see examples of that all through the Bible. God's people involved in various situations, crying out to God. God says, I'm here. I've got this. I hear you. You know, here's my promise. And it gets worse. I think one of the biggest examples is when God delivered his people out of Egypt. They're going out with celebration. They're going out with riches. They've been set free from 400-something years of slavery. Go into the promised land. And immediately God allows them and leads them to a place where they're boxed in and Pharaoh's army chases after them. Sometimes that's the way life works. And it's not because God's not in control. It's because he's got a plan that we don't understand and that we're not aware of. And that's some of the ideas that we're going to focus in on today as we continue our sermon series on the story of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. The story of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. Today we're going to be looking at a story in Luke chapter 8. And in this story we're going to see a situation just like that. We're going to see two people in need, but we're only going to deal with one today. The other one will be next week. They're very serious, important needs. And the one we're going to look at today, here is a man that that has had that basically has everything going for him. And then something happens that rocks his world. It's a life and death situation. And he comes to Jesus hoping Jesus will make a difference. And Jesus indicates that he will. But then almost immediately, not too long after, Jesus says, okay, let's go. His whole world crashes around him. Maybe you've been in a situation that felt that way. We all know Jesus. Jesus made a difference. But this guy didn't know it at the moment, that what was going to happen. The title of what we want to talk about today is Overcoming Fear with Faith. Overcoming fear with faith. I know that was kind of a theme through COVID, and I still see it all over the place. It's a great theme for life is faith over fear, faith over fear. We're going to trust God no matter what comes against us, no matter how much we may doubt, no matter how much we may fear. And we're not just talking about fear like I'm scared of something uh, outside of me, but just fears of what's going to happen or fears of what might not happen that needs to happen. But our faith. And so we want to talk about that, overcoming fear with faith. And we're going to be reading this story from Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 56, but we're going to read it in sections as we go along. 
the background to this, and if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you may remember Jesus had spent a day teaching. At the end of that day, he's exhausted. He says, but you know what? We need to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So all him, him and all the disciples pile into a boat and they pull out from shore. They're traveling overnight, as some of us have done before. Jesus is so exhausted, he falls asleep in the boat. They get partway across the sea and this tremendous storm comes up and it's so bad, the boat is filling with water. No matter how much they bail the water out, it just keeps filling and they're in danger of, as they call it, perishing. They're going to drown. The boat's going to sink. It's going to capsize. And they go to Jesus and say, Jesus, wake up. We're going to die. Jesus gets up. It doesn't say this in the Bible. I can picture him kind of yawning, looking around, and he just rebukes the wind of the waves and immediately... Not over time, not gradually. Immediately, everything's calm. And the disciples are like, who is this guy? We knew he was special. We've been with him for a while, but who is this guy? Anyway, they get to the other side of the lake, and it's morning time, and this man full of a legion of demons comes to meet them. And we talked about that last week, so I won't retell the whole story, but basically Jesus delivers that man from the demonic presence in his life. But the people around there are not happy because the demons left the man and got into the pigs and the pigs all drowned. Their economy crashes and they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you leave? And so Jesus and the disciples get back in the boat and head back across the sea to where they started out. And that brings us to where our story starts today. As we look at Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40, it says, now when Jesus returned... That's the return. He'd been across the lake overnight. Now he's come back. It's probably lunchtime, afternoon, maybe early evening. It's the next day. But now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Here's the man I was telling you about. It says that Jesus' disciples in the boat, they're coming back, and it says that when they got there, they were welcomed, which is a great change because the people on the other side of the lake just said, Jesus, would you go away? But here we have a crowd welcoming him. Why are they there welcoming him? Well, obviously because they want to see him, but how did they know he was coming back? We don't know. Apparently, either Jesus said he would be back or somehow the word got there. It's just one of those things you just have to accept. Obviously, they expected him at some time because they're there waiting on him. And I just want to pause on that phrase because it says the crowd welcomed him because they were all waiting for him. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're waiting for Jesus? Sure we have. And I want you to relate to that. I want you to resonate with that right now. There are There's a whole crowd of people that are waiting for Jesus. Why are they waiting for him? Well, they have this, at least an idea he's going to show up. But why are they waiting for him? Well, there's probably those that are curious. There are probably among them some people that had not yet met him or seen him or experienced him or heard him or whatever. It's like, hey, I've heard these stories about Jesus. He's a great teacher. Got some great things to say. He teaches with authority. Chances are there's more curious people. It's like, hey, I heard he can heal people and he can set people free and I want to see that happen. Among those people, I'm sure, are people that need to have that happen in their own lives. They need Jesus' intervention. They need Jesus' touch. They need healing. They need deliverance. But we know that there's at least two that we're going to see in this story. One's already been mentioned. That have desperate needs. Jairus. Ruler of the synagogue. What does that mean? The synagogue was the local place of worship for the Jewish people. They didn't have, quote, pastors. The highest form of leadership was Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. But that didn't mean that he get up and taught and preached. They didn't really preach. They taught God's word or led the singing or whatever. He was just the one to make sure that all that stuff happened. The synagogue was not only their place of worship. It was where their school was. It was where they had all their all their social events. Everything revolved around the synagogue and he was the one to make sure that everything went well. He would choose who was going to bring the Bible study, read the scripture each week. He chose who was going to pray, who was going to sing, you know, kind of coordinated all that kind of stuff. Very, very important, very prestigious. And I don't mean in a bad way. I'm not saying he was full of pride. I have no idea. But he had a very important and responsible position. 
He doesn't have a son, which would have been a dream of just about everybody at that time, but he had a daughter, a 12-year-old daughter. We think of a 12-year-old daughter as being kind of young, but in their culture, she's ready to launch out into womanhood. They could actually be married almost, I mean, about that time or a little bit after in their culture. And it doesn't say, but I have no trouble believing that this daughter is the apple of his eye. It's the joy of his life. And his daughter is so sick that they believe she's going to die any minute. Can you imagine? I don't know if this is something that happened. It kind of just grew gradually or whatever it was. Or if she just got struck down by something that invaded her body and overnight she got so sick. But she was at the point of death. And Jairus doesn't matter his position. Doesn't matter anything else right now. But his daughter is getting ready to die. But he knows Jesus can make a difference. And I can just almost picture in my mind him standing on the shore. He's heard Jesus has gone away, but he's coming back. Somehow they got the news. Jesus is coming back. And he's on the shore. He is probably pacing. He may be pulling his hair. He may be kneeling. I don't know what he's doing. He's crying out, God, please get him get back soon. Please let him get back soon. And Jesus shows up. And we see that his hopes are raised. I've called this section raised hopes. Raised hopes. I want you to resonate with this father and perhaps maybe something going on in your life, a problem, a need. Jairus' need can kind of almost be symbolic for your need of Jesus to intervene, of your need for God to do something, of your need of desperation perhaps, of your need to somehow... Have some hope in this situation. And, and I hope that your hopes will be raised today also. What are you waiting on Jesus for? The words aren't recorded, but Jesus agreed to go with Jairus. And we know that because it says they take off, they go. Jesus agreed to go with Jairus. How do you think Jairus felt? He finally showed up. Relief. I was able to talk to him. He's agreed to come. Surely that means everything is going to be okay. So his hopes have been raised, but I'm sure he's still concerned because it hasn't happened yet. His daughter's still sick. His daughter's still on the verge of death. Have you ever been in the same situation? As I referred to before, just kind of feeling overwhelmed, you cry out to God and you just got this assurance or this reassurance. God's in control. He says, I've got this. Your hopes are raised. The problem's still there, but you're feeling better about it. You know God can do anything and He's going to do what needs to be done. Raised hopes. But the next thing we're going to see in this story is delayed hopes. The hopes have been raised, but something happens to delay the resolution of the problem. And we pick up the story in the second half of verse 42, going through 48. It says, as Jesus went, he's going with Jairus to his home. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. I bet that was hard for Luke, the doctor, to write. (laughs) The physicians couldn't help her. Anyway, go on. Verse 44, she came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. He's basically saying, Jesus, who didn't touch you? But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. What a tremendous story of healing. That's what we're going to look at next week. We're going to take a look at this lady's life. How did she get in this situation? What did she hope? How did it come about? What did Jesus do? What were the results? We'll look at that next week. But I want to go back to Jairus. 
Jesus is with him. They're headed straight to his house. And all of a sudden, Jesus just stops and says, who touched me? And goes through this whole conversation. And Peter says, well, Lord, who didn't touch me? And Jairus is probably saying, who cares? Let's go to my house. We don't know how long this conversation takes. It probably took a lot longer than me just reading the story because it's just kind of a summary. How do you think Jairus feels? I don't know. How do you feel when somebody cuts in front of you in line? How do you feel when somebody cuts in front of you in traffic? I just, I, I've said this, but that's one of my biggest pet peeves. I hate it. You know, you're waiting patiently in line and somebody comes zipping up along the side, you know, and they just squeeze right in there. It's like, right, you're more important than everybody else. Now, if you're one of those people, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you, but I hate that. You know, you're getting ready to get off of this exit and it's backed up half a mile. You're waiting patiently in line and everybody's just trying to... Anyway, i got to get off my pet peeve here. But how do we like it when somebody butts in front of us? Gets, especially when we're in a hurry. Get into a traffic jam. We've got to be there. It's, it's important. I don't know if you ever thought of it this way, but how do you feel when somebody butts in front of in line with, for you for being healed or for being having your prayers answered? Now, not literally that they butted in front of you, but have you ever been in a situation where you're just praying to God about some situation and for some reason, it's not happening, it's not happening, and you see somebody else with a similar or the same situation, maybe even a totally different one, and it pops up, they pray, and God answers their prayers like that. Or maybe he doesn't answer it like that, but he answers it quicker than he answers yours. Does that ever kind of bother you? One way, it doesn't really matter one way or the other, but Jairus, can you imagine how he is feeling? Frustration. Fear. Jesus stopped. Are we going to be in time? Is this interruption? Is this delay? Is it going to make a difference in the condition of my daughter and whether she lives or dies? I'll be honest with you, this is where I struggle the most. I'm sure that's probably true for you. Where I struggle the most is when I'm praying about something, God, and nothing seems to be happening. Or if something seems to be happening, and all of a sudden something stops it. Stops it. God, why? Why? I'm ready. We go on. I call the next section crushed hopes. Just one verse, verse 49. While he was still speaking, Jesus, Jesus was telling her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. I don't know if Jairus had been in constant communication with the house asking that a servant or someone be sent to tell him on the condition and that he brings Jesus as soon as possible. Please let me know whether there's been a lot of communication back and forth or this is the first thing he's heard. Somebody shows up from his household and he says, I'm sorry, Jairus, your daughter, the light of your life, the apple of your eye, she didn't make it. She's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. There's no need for Jesus to come to the house. There's nothing that can be done. How's Jairus feeling now? Broken. Probably mourning. Maybe a little bit of anger. It's like, if only that lady wouldn't have done what she did. If only Jesus wouldn't have stopped if we could have gotten there a little bit sooner, if you could have met, even if you could look up maybe and see his house just a half a block down the street. I don't know if that's true, but I'm just trying to put myself in his shoes, no matter how far away his house was. How is he feeling right now? My hopes, hopes have been lifted, and, and Jesus, he's got this reputation. He can do it. And, and I, Now my hopes are crushed. Pain, disappointments. As I said, maybe that's happened to you. You've got this problem. You cry out to God. You've got this assurance. I've got this under control. I'm going to do something about it. And then it gets worse. It gets worse. Have you ever gone from having a bad situation to believing that God's going to take care of it to having a dead situation? A dead situation. Get your hopes up. Something brings them crashing down. You're believing in God and faith. 
and he lets you down. It all falls apart. Maybe you've even dealt with it. Was it really even worth turning to God in the beginning? The person, servant, whoever it is that comes from Jairus' house gives him advice. He says, listen, don't trouble the teacher anymore. I want to focus there for just a second. How many times do we find ourselves in a situation and we hear a voice? It could be our own voice of frustration and disappointment or whatever. It could be the enemy of our souls who says, listen, don't bother anymore. Give up. It's hopeless. It's over. Give up. We've got that paradox of walking in faith and trusting God. On the one hand, you've got God saying that all things are possible to him who believes, but you've got the enemy right there saying, why bother? Why bother? Because he doesn't do things the way you'd like him to do. He's not doing things the way you'd like him to do them. He's allowed things to come crashing down around you. At the least, it's not getting any better. Have there been times in your life where you felt like saying, why even bother? Perhaps you're feeling that way today. You're in a situation and the enemy is saying, why bother? Why keep trying? Why keep trying to overcome that habit? Why keep trying to improve your marriage? Why keep trying to be faithful in giving to the church? Or why keep trying to be a person of integrity because you try so hard and it only seems to bring you grief? Why keep trying to live the Christian life? Why keep trying to do the right thing? Why keep trying to spend time reading your Bible and praying? Does it really make a difference? And maybe you know in the back of your mind it does, but right now it doesn't feel like it. It just feels like it makes things worse. You know, our enemy can speak through those around us, which this guy wasn't an enemy, and he just came and said, listen, Jairus, she's gone. Don't waste Jesus' time. But there are times that the enemy's voice or this voice that tries to discourage us and get us to give up, it can come from the people around us. But, you know, most of the time it comes from inside us. And if it comes from around us, it probably here, it probably has, uh, uh, you know, something inside of us that joins along with. And it's like, really, is it worth it? Why bother? So in this story, we see this progression, this need, and the hopes are raised, but then they're delayed, and then they are crushed. And it's like, that's just the opposite of what it should be. It should be just the opposite. There's this big need, and your hopes are crushed. But you know what? Jesus is coming along, and it's taking longer than you think. But, you know, he's, my hopes are being raised, and something's going to be done. But the good news is, as we see in this story, that even though the progression is backwards, it's getting ready to turn around and go the other way. Because it's never totally over when it comes to Jesus. They thought it was. But it wasn't. And that brings us to our topic today. That's not just all the introductions, so don't get worried, okay? How do we overcome fear with faith? How do we do that? What do we see in this story that can help us when we're facing a situation like Jairus to overcome our fear, our doubt, our frustrations, how can we overcome that with faith? How can we strengthen our faith in the midst of these overwhelming situations that cause fear and doubt? We're going to see that in the rest of the story, okay? Let me give you five simple and quick things that we can do. The first one is we need to ignore the voices of doubt. Let's just go ahead and read the rest of the story, and then I'll point these things out um, one at a time. But looking at Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 50. Right after Jairus is notified that his daughter had died, and he said, don't bother the teacher anymore. Verse 50, but Jesus on hearing this, hearing what? Hearing this person, probably a servant, maybe a family member saying, hey, listen, she's gone, Jairus, don't bother. But when Jesus heard this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. And he said, do not weep, for she's not dead, but sleeping. Now, 
Some would probably say that she actually was just sleeping. The people thought she died, but it's quite obvious she really is dead. That's just a euphemism that's used often in the scripture for people that have died. But Jesus knows she's not going to stay dead, so it really fits in this situation. Verse 53. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So what do we do to strengthen our faith in the midst of this fear and doubt? First of all, ignore the voices of doubt. It says in verse 50, when Jesus heard this, but Jesus on hearing this, Hearing the report, she's dead, don't bother this. He didn't say, oh man, I am so sorry. I just caught up in what I needed to do. Oh, I got sidetracked. He didn't say any of that. He didn't say, oh well, maybe next time let's go do something else. No, he turned to Jairus. And basically, he didn't say this, but he says, oh, just ignore him. You know, it's almost like, just ignore him. Essentially, what he's saying is, listen, that's a bad report. But I'm with you. I agreed to come with you. So ignore it. As I say, you will have voices, external and internal, that will tell you to give up, to tell you a situation cannot turn around, to tell you that something can't happen, that it won't happen, that God won't come through. See, it just got worse. But we've got to learn to ignore these voices. We need to learn to apply something we already know how to do really well in other circumstances to circumstances like this. And what is it that we already know how to do? Practice selective hearing. How many of you are really good at selective hearing? A lot of hands going up. I don't see anybody pointing at their spouse, but I imagine that could happen too. You hear only what you want to hear, right? Conveniently not hear what you don't want to hear. We need to apply that to situations like this. Now, please... Understand, I'm not trying to say that you need to be in denial. And please understand that I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't listen to the voice of reason. We've got to learn to differentiate between the voice of doubt and the voice of reason. Because, you know, sometimes we cling to something that's not part of God's plan for us, but we cling to it because it's what we want. This whole thing is set in the context of God's will for Jairus and his daughter and God's plan that he wants to work out through Jesus in their lives and in the crowd that is gathered. If God had had a reason that he did not want this daughter to survive, it's not what happened. That'd be a whole different story. But we're talking about clinging to God's promises. So you need to learn, we need to learn to ignore the voices of doubt. And the second thing is we've got to focus on God's promises. Focus on God's promises. Jesus basically says, don't worry about that. Do not, fe- do not fear, only believe. She'll be well. He made a promise to Jairus. She wasn't well yet. But he made a promise to him. Do not fear, only believe. Basically, Jesus is saying the same thing he tells us in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of every life, everyday life. Trust me. Trust me. Don't fear, only believe. So you've got Jairus here. He's got this person from his household saying, why bother, give up? But he's got Jesus with the audacity to say, only believe. And the smartest thing Jairus did in this situation was to keep his mouth shut and do what Jesus said. How's he feeling? I don't know. It's got to be confusing. His daughter's dead. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Only believe. I think he's saying, I'm going to cling to whatever little hope that I might be able to have. How much hope did he have? How much faith did he have? How much belief did he have? How much was he trusting Jesus? If we were to measure it on a scale, we have no idea. But he had enough to do what Jesus said. Can I tell you that's all you need? I've been planning on saying this, but it just came to my mind. When Jesus kept talking to his disciples and others about having faith, 
Where is your faith? Just have faith the size of a mustard seed. We often look at that saying, man, how powerful faith is. Just a little tiny bit can really do big things. And that's true. But really the main point is you don't have to have that much faith to see God work in your life. Now our faith needs to grow. I'm not trying to diminish our need to grow in faith. We need to. We need strong faith. But all we have to have is enough to respond and to trust and to do what Jesus says. I only emphasize that because sometimes we may give up because like, well, I know I don't have enough faith. My faith is so small right now. Don't listen to that because that's just another way of giving in to that lie of why bother? Give up. It's not going to change. Focus on God's promises. This is the strategy we need to use when we find ourselves in a situation where it looks like everything is against what God has promised you in your life. You've got to keep the promises of God front and center. So we go on in this story. It says that um, Jairus, no words recorded. Jairus may have said something. I don't know, but he's going along with Jesus. Jesus is going along with him. They're on their way to the house, and they get to the house. This great crowd has gathered. They're mourning. They're weeping. They're wailing. There were probably people playing the flute. Say, how do you know that? Because in their culture, when someone died... It was a cultural thing that everybody that was around, family members, friends, neighbors, they would all go to show their support. They would all mourn with the family. And it was considered culturally appropriate, in fact, necessary, that you would actually hire more mourners. I know that sounds different, sounds very strange to us, but it was a very well-accepted and needed part of their culture. You hired people who were professional mourners. I wouldn't want to be a professional mourner. But they had them. And they would come in. They were good at it. And it would, uh, there's some Jewish uh, little laws that they had. You had to have at least a certain number of mourners and at least two flute players for it to really be done right. Don't know where they get these these things at. So there's probably a couple of flute players there. And they're not playing some little lilty dancing tune either. I, you know, I don't know what it is. I'm just imagining here. All these people have gathered around. And then one thing I want to deal with at the end, so I don't have to stop later to do this, At the very end, you know, after Jesus raises the girl from the dead, he says, give her something to eat and don't tell anybody about it. Why did he say that? I mean, they're going to know. She was dead. Now she's alive. What he's really saying here is don't make a big deal about this. You see, over and over again, there's many times Jesus would heal somebody and say, listen, don't, don't tell a bunch of people about this. Why did he do that? Because he knew that people would begin to focus on the miracles instead of the message. Can I tell you that when Jesus was here, and it's still true, the message is more important than the miracles. The impact of God's Word in our life is more important than some wonderful experience. I'm so glad for wonderful experiences that come in our walk with God. But the impact of the truth is so much more important. And, and, and even though Jesus told some people not to tell, they'd tell anyway. And obviously he healed people in the big crowd so they all knew. And exactly what he was concerned about happened. People began to focus more and more on what Jesus could do for them than the message of the kingdom of God. So that's why Jesus said that. Just wanted to throw that out there. So we need to ignore the voices of doubt and focus on God's promises. The third thing that we can and should do in situations like this is remove the negative input. Remove negative input. It says in verse 51, And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except... And it talks about Peter and James and John. You know, they're kind of the three inner core. This is the first time they're mentioned in this gospel, being kind of the inner core that Jesus does extra things with. But he lets those three come in, plus the mother and father. And when we compare this story with Matthew's version and Mark's version, we get a whole picture. And basically, Jesus has shown up to the house. It indicates probably that there are people gathered outside. There are people that are inside. The body's in an inner room. They're all mourning and all that kind of stuff. And, and Jesus says, listen, she's, don't worry. It's all under control. She's just asleep. They're all laughing and they're mocking. And when you look at Matthew and Mark's part of it, basically he says, listen, you guys just step outside, would you please? Just just step outside. Thank you. Thank you very much. And he, Peter, James, and John, the mother and father, go into that inner room. But whether this was Jesus' primary intent or just a secondary effect of it, he got rid of the negative, the negative input. 
He was not with the parents, with the dead child, doing his thing with all his cacophony, all this negativity around. Remove the negative input. Mark 5.40 says he put them all outside. You know, as you try to implement this in your life, you try to ignore the voices of doubt and focus on God's promise and say, God, God's in control. God's got this. I'm not exactly sure what he's going to do, but I'm going to trust in him. You may have people make fun of you. That's what this crowd did. They made fun of Jesus. Oh, yeah, right. She's dead. Not realizing that Jesus was not denying her death, but basically saying, as far as I'm concerned, it's like she's just asleep. It's all going to be fine. People made fun. They were discouraging. And there may be people that might discourage you, make fun of you. And you've got to remove that negative input. Now, that's not to say that if it's your spouse that's discouraging, you should go out and get a divorce. I said that kind of half funny, but half not. To the degree that you can, you need to remove the negative input. Can I tell you, there's probably always some negative input that we can get rid of. And not just negative input that specifically is talking to you about this situation, but this is a great principle for life. If we want to live a life, even when we're not in crisis, even when we're not in difficulty, you know, we want to live a life of victory, we want to live a life of faith, we need to get rid of all the junk we have allowed into our lives. It's a whole nother sermon, but it fits in this point. Sometimes the voices that come against us have a power uh, that goes way beyond normal because we've allowed so much junk into our lives. I could preach a whole message on it. I'm not going to, but I wanted you to encourage you to pray, God, what kind of junk, ungodly junk, junk that contradicts your word, junk that contradicts your plan and purpose for my life, what is it that I'm allowing in? What is it that I watch? Where is it that I go on the internet? What is it that I listen to? What is it that I immerse myself in that actually is retarding my spiritual growth and keeping me from walking in faith and victory? And definitely when you're in the midst of a difficulty, Lord, what is there that I can maybe push aside out of my life? And maybe it's just something I need to get rid of temporarily. Maybe there's a certain friend I don't need to talk to right now in this time of my life because they don't see your promises the way I do. So I just need to kind of put them on mute for a little while. I don't know what to tell you because it's different for every person, but you need to remove the negative input. Remove what you can. Who or what are you listening to? What are you reading? What are you watching? All those things impact you and influence you. The fourth thing, find positive believers to stand with you. Hopefully you already have some. If not, now is the time to start to develop those relationships. It says in Luke 8, 51, And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. You need faith filled brothers and sisters in Christ that you can turn to in crisis, but not just in crisis, in everyday life. That's part of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. We are there for each other to encourage and strengthen and to, to bear one another's burdens and to help one another, to, 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 to bring words of faith and hope and comfort and strength. Find positive believers to stand with you. There have been a couple of times that I have definitely needed this in my life, but as I was thinking, as I was thinking about my wife, you know, sometimes my wife, she gets down about something or something's really, the enemy's just really attacking and, and, and I do everything I can as her husband to try to talk to her and to allow her to, 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 to vent sometimes. Uh, a husband hint, guys, sometimes your wife just wants to vent. They don't need your advice. They don't need you to try to fix it. They just need you to listen. Okay? A little bit of marriage advice there. But you know, there's times that I, I can tell she needs another woman of God that can help her in this particular situation. And I'll say, you know, why don't you call? And there's a, a short list of names of people that I know that she's been friends with for years and years and years that live in various parts of the country and around the world. Say, why don't you try to call this particular person? And she does. And they're encouraging and they lift her faith. And let me be very, very quick to say that we have a lot of conversations and, and she talks often about how all of you 
and I say the same thing, have lifted her faith and have have encouraged and strengthened her. And you've done the same thing for me. We're all in this together. It's not like she has to find somebody outside the church because there's nobody inside the church. You know, that kind of thing. It's just an illustration. That's what we're all here for. That's what we're all here together for. There's other type of positive voices besides people. Maybe when you're in the midst of this, you need to find positive influence by spending extra time in God's Word, by putting on some worship music, by, by, um, by going to church. You know, sometimes the thing we least want to do is the thing we most need to do. We want to be alone, but God says, no, reach out to a brother or sister. We want to stay home, but God says, no, go be with your brothers and sisters in a, in a service or a Bible study or the ladies group or the men's group, because that's where you're going to find that support. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't even feel like I can talk to God. That's when you really need to get into God's word and you need to start talking to him, pour your heart out and tell him how you feel. I can't tell God how I feel. I'd be embarrassed. I don't want him to know. I think he already does. Read the Psalms. David and the other psalmists were very open about telling God exactly how they felt. And God said, that's good stuff. Put it in the Bible. Find positive believers, other positive influences to give you that support. And the fifth and last thing is obey what the Lord tells you to do. Obey what the Lord tells you to do. In spite of all that happened and whatever he was feeling inside, Jairus did exactly what Jesus asked. Jesus said, do not fear, only believe. Did Jairus still wrestle with feel? Probably. But Jesus says, listen, you can let that go. You can let that go. Did Jairus fully trust Jesus? Again, I don't know on a measurable scale where his trust was, but he did trust him enough to do what he said. He didn't just say, Jesus, I appreciate the thought, but go on home. I mean, it's over. He clung to whatever hope he still had left. Whatever he saw in Jesus, whatever he received from him, his faith, his trust, however much it was, he clung to Jesus and they kept going to his house. When Jesus said, everybody else get out, he didn't say, no, don't worry about it. When Jesus said, let's go into the room, he said, okay. He did what Jesus said to do. There's a lot of definitions of faith. Believe faith. You know, faith is important. Having the faith the size of a mustard field, you know, just uh, mustard seed. Just believe, you know, without faith, you can't please God. Without faith, not, you know, you've got to have faith. It's because of faith that we can be saved from our sins. It's by faith that we live our, everything is wrapped up, or faith is wrapped up in everything. There's a lot of teaching about that, but simply put, faith basically just means trusting God. And trusting him enough to do what he says. If you tell somebody you trust them, but you're not willing to trust them, you don't really trust them. That was deep, wasn't it? You tell somebody to, tr- you, you trust them to hold the ladder, but you won't climb it because you're afraid they're going to step away or you're jer- jerk it out from under you. You don't really trust them. We tell God we trust Him, but we don't surrender things to Him and we don't do what He says we should do about it. Then we don't really trust Him. Faith. Believing God, trusting enough to do what He says. And Jairus did that. Now before we wrap this up, we're going to do it very, very quickly. What if you do all those things and it doesn't work? What if you do all those things... And God doesn't answer your prayer. God doesn't take care of the problem the way you want Him to. Now that last phrase is where the problem is. The way you want Him to. Two things I'll just throw out there. Number one, maybe you just haven't waited long enough. Don't give up. Unless God says, I've got a different plan, go in a different direction. Don't give up. Just keep holding on. The lady we're going to look at next next week, the woman with the issue of blood, she'd had that problem for 12 years. Do you think she had it for a week and said, oh, this is an irritation, but I think I'll wait 12 years to pray about it. After a year, ah, this has been a tough year, but I think I'll wait 11 more years to pray about it. No, I guarantee you she has been praying. She has been seeking help from the physicians, all that kind of stuff. But 
in God's plan and God's timing, God waited 12 years to meet that need. Now, we don't like that. I don't want to have to last any longer or wait any longer than I have to to have my need met. But maybe God's got a reason. But the second thing, besides you haven't waited long enough, don't give up, is God may have a different, better plan. Say, well, wait a minute, that can't be true because what I want has got to be the best plan. (laughs) Because I've thought about this a lot, you know. I mean, I really think that if God did this and take care of the problem, that's the best plan. God knows a whole lot more than we do. And he knows what he's doing in our lives and the lives of the people around us. And he may have something a whole lot better for us in the long run. We can't see it. We don't like it. We don't understand it. But we're going to have to learn to not be afraid and just trust him, even when things don't turn out the way we really want them to. Can I tell you that even if the result is not what you hoped for, God can use the very thing that the enemy wanted to use to tear you apart and turn you away from him to do some great things in your life, to build you up, to bring something maybe even better, something that will benefit you even more down the road, something that will bring glory to his name. I think of the story of Lazarus, not to repeat it, but Jesus' friend, they told Jesus you know, sent a messenger. Lazarus is sick. He's going to die. As soon as Jesus heard the message, it says he immediately waited four more days before leaving to go be with Lazarus. Just long enough for him to die and be in the grave for a while. But Jesus ended up raising him. He had a reason. He had a reason. We don't always understand what's going on in our life. But, you know, you don't have to understand what God is doing in order to believe. In fact, real faith comes when we don't understand. If we understood everything, it would be no problem to believe. Oh, I see what God's doing. Sure. We don't have to understand what God's doing in order to believe. And you know what? You don't have to understand what God is doing in order to obey. We'd like to. When God tells us to do something, it's like, well, that doesn't really make sense to me. That doesn't look like it's going to work. I'd rather understand so I can see why, and then I'll do it. And it says, no, God, you know what? I, I don't get it. I don't like it. I don't, I, whatever, but I'm just going to obey. We've said many times, my wife and I both, that we've been, and I'm sure you have too, in situations like, God, I don't understand what's going on. I don't like what's going on. But one thing I do know is you've been faithful, and I'm going to trust you. And that's what we've got to do. That's what we've got to do. So don't stop believing. Hold on to your faith. Don't fear, just believe. Don't trust your feelings. Your feelings are going to be in and out and up and down and roundabout. They change so quickly. The Bible in history is full of men and women who could have said, why bother? But they said, no, we're going to do what God said to do and look what God did in and through them. They didn't always get exactly what they wanted, but the end result was better because it was what God wanted. I want to challenge and encourage you this morning to exchange your fears and your doubts for the promises of God. To believe this God, the one who can do the impossible in your life. What are you wrestling with today? This is what we need to do in the midst of crisis. But this is what we need to do every day in our life. I'll close with this thought. This morning... I came to the church. This is going to be a crazy busy week. we got a lot coming up over the next month and a half. And all those things just started percolating in my brain. I also believe there was a spiritual component. But I began to feel very, very, very heavy this morning. Long before the service started, I was in my office. Came over to share with a couple people on the worship team that I was just really feeling this heaviness. I called my wife. She prayed for me right then and there. She prayed for me all the time. She encouraged me. God wants to do some great things today. Just put your trust in that. And can I tell you that that heaviness began to lift. And it wasn't very long. I felt great. Enjoyed greeting all of you that I got a chance to greet before service. I thoroughly enjoyed worship today. It's been a great morning. But I started out with this heaviness. So even if you're here today, you say, I don't have any major crises in my life, but there's just something weighing you down. It works for that too. 
Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand. Our worship team is going to lead us in singing a song. What's the name of it again, Pastor Nate? House of Miracles. Jesus' supernatural power to do what needs to be done. And as we begin to sing this song, if you need a touch from Jesus today, because of some big overwhelming thing, because of some medium-sized thing, or maybe not even because you got a crisis, but it's like, oh Lord, I just need you to intervene, and I want to take a step of faith to say, God, I'm trusting in you. I want to put my fears aside. I want to put aside that thing that says, I'm afraid my finances aren't going to stretch enough this month. I want to put that fear aside that I don't think my marriage is going to make it. I want to put my fear aside that I don't know what's going to happen to my kids or my grandkids. I want to put this fear aside because I'm not real sure what's happening in my body. I want to put this fear aside because I do know what's happening in my body and I don't know how the end result's going to be. But God, I'm going to trust you. So we're going to start singing. Go ahead and start playing. Start singing, Pastor Nate. And as he does, even now, would you come? Would you come? You need to touch from Jesus. You need to touch from Jesus. Say, Lord, today I'm taking a step. You spoke to me. And I'm just surrendering this to you. I, I want to not fear. I want to believe. God, I'm believing you're going to take care of the situation in my life. I believe you're going to take care of the situation at my job, in my school, in my family. Lord, I just want to surrender it all to you. God, I want to trust you. I want to walk with you. Come. I believe God wants to touch some people. I'm not trying to coerce you. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm just saying, come and receive from Jesus. Come and receive from Jesus. I'm going to invite Pastor Jan, our elders, to be here, available to pray with people. I encourage you to sing this song. Begin to worship. If God lays it on your heart, come. Let us pray with you. Let us pray for you. Father God, this morning, we thank you for the time in your presence. We thank you for the move of God. We thank you for the healings that will take place, deliverance that will take place, restoration that will take place, a refilling of your spirit that will take place from this moment on. Father God, we thank you for the word that was set forth into the atmosphere, God. We pray that it would not just go forth and stay there, but it will go forth and we would grab it and apply it to our lives. Father God, we pray that as we leave here this morning, that you go before us, you protect us and you keep us, that your everlasting light will shine upon us, Father God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, and we all say amen and amen. I pray blessings over you. Have a wonderful week. God bless. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 